0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. This week, we're featuring a conversation from earlier this year. O'Reilly's Mary Tressler chats with Giles Colborne, Managing Director of CX Partners. They talk about the transformative effects of AI on design, designing for natural language interactions, and why designers need to nurture the ability to reinvent themselves. Enjoy the episode. Giles, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'd love for you to start off by sharing with folks listening a little bit about you and your background and how you uh, found your way into the field of design. Uh,
1: well, you know what? I, I found my way into the field of design kind of by luck, kind of by genetics. I mean, in in my family, you know, half the people are, are scientists, half the people are designers. So my brother is a is a car designer, I and mean, he. Uh, he lectures at the Royal College of, uh, of, of Art, and he designs cars. Um, but I went the other route, and I started off becoming uh, a scientist. So I went and I studied physics at university. And unusually in the UK, I mean normally in the UK, when you study a university a subject, you just study that subject. It's not like um, in say America where you can kind of mix and match. Um, but somehow into the physics, I managed to get a bit of. Um, a bit of psychology. And, you know, and I was doing a lot of uh, computation as part of the physics. And, and clearly, I kind of grown up around design and was really interested uh, in design. And luckily for me, when I left college, wondering, you know, how I would put all of this stuff together. Um, I, went, uh, I went to work at, at British Aerospace and, um, you know, because it was nearby. Uh, and, and they put me on a program and they said, Okay, well, you know what? You've done a bit of student journalism and you've done a bit of computing uh, and you've got the kind of the systems analysis skills, um, you know, because of the, the physics background. So we're going to put you in with the human computer interaction team and they do this thing called human computer interaction. And it turned out to be everything I enjoyed. It turned out to be, you know, working with computers and working with people and communication. Uh, and uh, designing stuff, you know, uh, you know, both visually and in, in terms of interaction. And and I really just lucked out. I mean, I was just very, very fortunate that I happened to be in the right place at the right time because back then, you know, that was a real niche area. And, um, you know, the only people doing human-computer interaction were people working in fields like aerospace, where you had to do that sort of thing because it was the law, because, you know, Planes had crashed, and somebody had uh, had uh, discovered it was because the system didn't work well, and so human factors um, became became part of the the design process. Mm-hmm. But it was done under duress.
0: You know? Right. <laughs>
1: it was done because it was the law, uh, and a lot of people in the in the field at the time would sort of walk around going, "If only people listened to us more." Mm. Um, and of course, you know, I, I, look, I was I was straight out of college. I was just enjoying myself. Um, what year and, was that? That was back in the early 90s. Okay. So around about that time, I moved to um, Institute of Physics Publishing. Um, Hmm. Again, completely lucky. I was just – they were – Trying to to figure out what is the future of publishing, and they knew what the future of publishing was. It was going to be that in in the future, which is now, um, universities would have got rid of all of their books. There wouldn't be any books anymore, uh, and there were going to be huge CD-ROM jukeboxes, <laughs> um, which people would be able to log on to from terminals in the library building, uh, and that's how they get their their stuff. Um, and again, this was the early '90s, and this was physics. And when I got there, there was this. Um, black, you know, wonderful looking computer in the corner, a next workstation. And I said, what's that? Why do we have that? And they said, well, there's this thing that this guy in CERN has come up with called the World Wide Web. Um, and so that's to access that. But we don't know really why anybody would want to. <laughs> um, and and so again, you know, I just sort of locked out. I was in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I went to one of the early um, World Wide Web Conferences and, you know, sat in a discussion group with, with Tim Berners-Lee. And it was just clearly kind of the future. And again, fortunately, you know, I've been hired by that group because the uh, the guy who was heading it up had also kind of come from, from British Aerospace, had also come from human-computer interaction and wanted somebody to, to do that. And of course, what the web did eventually was, um, it meant that, you know, suddenly, People could just sort of hop from a bit of software to a bit of software to a bit of software called a website rather than having to go and buy it or get bought it by uh, by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people could choose well, which one am I going to use? And suddenly the one that they liked became the most important one rather than the one that you could sell them or the one that you could get your company to buy. And so human computer interaction went from being this sort of niche area, which people did under duress, to being this really critical thing that it's become today um it's it's kind of morphed a bit along the way
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: so you know really you know uh, I, I i lucked out and I, I i am that sort of classic person who just did what they were interested in uh and it turned out uh to be something that um you know where the, the, the tide of the world was headed
0: sure sure so you tell me a little bit about your firm and, and what kinds of things you do what kind of clients you have
1: um so my firm is is cx partners and um you know, back um, back uh, around about the time of the dot com boom and bust, um, my business partner Richard Caddick and I uh, found ourselves working in a, a huge communications agency, and we were really lucky. I mean, we got to work on you know big projects, global clients, doing you know the first time anybody had ever sold a car online, or, or um, you know running this sort of you know international research across you know dozens of countries. Back back before that was um, that was kind of commonplace. So we're really lucky, but also, you know, again, user centered design was a bit of a, a niche thing. There, it was it was just like starting to spark people's interest, but it wasn't the way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, Dot com crash came, and suddenly people realised that the, the the websites and the companies left standing were the ones that were usable, and that's really when this, you know, our, our kind of field moved centre stage. Richard and I have been working together for a long time. We, you know, had a great working relationship, and and we wanted to to start a company where you know designing around users, designing with user involvement, was absolutely the heart of everything we did. And and I think that's one of the core principles for us is that you know we don't do stuff unless we get to bring businesses into contact with users. And and what I love about that is it transforms the client's business. It it you know it helps them you know to align. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stakeholders who perhaps have been in opposition and give them a kind of a common purpose. And it helps invigorate them, give them a sense of vision. Suddenly everyone realizes oh, this is what we're trying to do. These are the people we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, for us, you know, that's a, that's a really empowering thing. And, and, and we get to work with, again, companies all over the world, people are having a profound effect on the lives of millions of people, you know, whether that's the, the National Health Service in, in the UK or whether that's, um, you know, Marriott Hotels across, across the world. Um, mm-hmm. You can do things and you can just shift the needle for people, uh, and you know that actually
0: that, that's touching millions of people's lives every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you, one of the things that you talk a, a bit about is the changing role of designers uh, with the emergence of, I, sh- I say emergence, but it's been around. It's it's now finding its own home. But artificial intelligence. Can you talk a little bit about what you see changing and and what the space looks like? I think
1: one of the one um, of the things that you know, running a business to try and do is, is to look ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm responsible for, you know, a firm of 50, 60 people. And, and so you have to think about, well, where are we going to be in, in three, four years time? Uh, and so a while back, you know, we kind of went through that process and we were saying, well, what's about to change? And it was really clear that, I mean, first of all, you know, mobile has been a, a huge shift in, in design. It's affected um, the way we go about doing stuff. You know, it's, it's it's because of mobile we can't design the way that people were designing ten years ago. and Coming up with huge decks of wireframes, you know, it's brought about atomic design and design systems, and it, it's brought sketching and lean to the fore. And these are the things that were were kind of around, but they they weren't essential. And mobile and the the need to, to work on so many different platforms um, at, at once has has made those things absolutely essential. Well. The trouble is, there's a there's a dirty little secret there, which is that mobile it's the platform that people want to use. Like if you give them a choice, they'll they'll reach for their for their smartphone every single time. But it didn't work very well. So you look at e-commerce sites. The average conversion rate on the e-commerce site is something like um, four four and a half percent, average globally. Um, on a mobile site, it's less than two percent. And although the conversion rates are rising, um, they're rising at the same pace. usability of desktop is getting better about the same place as mobile. That's terrible. That means that a lot of businesses are seeing their their traffic shift to a channel, which actually doesn't work as well, but people would like it Mm -hmm. to work well. Um, At the same time, these devices become incredibly powerful. At the same time, organizations are suddenly um, finding themselves sort of flooded with data about user behavior. Um, really interesting data. That, you know, it's impossible for a person to understand. Um, but if you have a, a very powerful device in their, you know, uh, a, a, the, in the user's pocket uh, in the user's hand, and you have you know powerful computers that can crunch this data and and and, and shift it around quickly, s- suddenly technologies like AI become really important, and you can start to predict. What the user might want, and therefore you can remove a little bit of the friction from mobile. And so, looking around at this landscape, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it was kind of obvious. Well, that that is going to be where something interesting happens soon. And, and sure enough, you can see that everywhere now. Um, the interest in in, in AI uh, is is phenomenal. And, and at its at its simplest, the crudest kind of application of, of AI is simply that. Is simply to shortcut user input. Um, and, and that's a very simple application, but it's incredibly powerful and it has a you know, transformative effect. Um, so that's why I think AI is, um, is really important. It's why I think it, it, it's time is, is now. And that's why I think you're starting to see it just everywhere. You know, the conditions are right, um, for, for AI to move from being a sort of academic curiosity into what it is now, mm-hmm. uh, main,
0: mainstream. Cool. Cool. So do you think, I mean, you know, there's all talk about unicorns, full stack designers, whatever the label is that people are throwing around these days. But do you think that designers really need to learn how to work with data and predictive analytics as part of this? I mean, how much how much do you think folks need to learn to kind of wrap their brains around this new paradigm?
1: So that's, that's the question, isn't it? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a that's a huge leap, you know. I've, I've got a background in physics, so you know, I start sort of digging into this. I'm like, "Whoa, oh, look at this! Look at the maths here!" <laughs> but it's hard stuff. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling um, as I as I look through it, and and it it's not, you know, kind of a tangible thing. Um, so the idea that you know being a unicorn now involves also at that. It's just impossible. But what's interesting is, I mean, talking to a lot of people who are incorporating this into their design practice and and themes are emerging. So Amber Cartwright at, uh, at Airbnb uh, said a very simple, profound thing, which is if you want to design a thing, you have to understand it. Um, and if you're going to design with algorithms, you have to understand them. But, you know, like all of us, you know, she's running a design team. She can't just sort of, send everyone off for three years, get them a degree in higher mathematics, and and you know we'll see you uh, when you've done that. And so she did the sensible thing, which is she said, okay, we're running mixed teams. I'm going to put the uh, the design teams and the data scientists next to each other, and I'm going to get them to, to draw out what it is they're trying to do. And that's a very simple thing. But immediately, you know she started to see people kind of sketching out, well, this is what this looks like. Um, this is how this works. And by drawing it the abstract becomes concrete by drawing it there's a there's a common language by drawing it you know you you get that spark so i think you know the idea of the unicorn is all is all very well but and it's nice to have people who understand a a bit about the disciplines around them so that there's a a kind of a bridge and a crossover but you also need specialists you need really great designers and you need really great copywriters and you need really great data scientists Um, And and so, you know, creating practice uh, around how those groups of people come together, how those groups of people communicate, how those groups of people collaborate, share ideas, spark ideas uh, is is what's really important. here.
0: Mm. So is that how you are set up your your own agency, your firm, in terms of specialists and do you have specialists and generalists or how does how do you work in teams?
1: So, again, um, you know, we're trying to kind of break down the silos and and it's. um, uh it's remarkable how, you know, you look outside and you go, look at all these companies we deal with, look at the silos. And then you turn back and you realize, oh, gosh, we've created some silos. Um, so absolutely, um, you know, breaking down the, the silos, making sure that, um, that people have you know, physical spaces, people have project processes, people have um, roles and ways of working that enable them. To come together and share is is you know absolutely as much a challenge for us as it is for for our clients, and it's you know requires kind of constant reinvention and, and uh, uh, you know constant imagination to, to to bring together. And absolutely, that is exactly what we're trying to do: make sure that um, you know there's skill swaps. We have little skill swap sessions where people can can you know practice and learn a little bit about each each other's skills, um, as well as. Um, uh, you know, as, as, as well as spaces and, and ways of working on teams to, to try and make sure that disciplines are involved throughout a project, uh, mm-hmm. so that somebody isn't going, "Well, wait a minute, you guys have been working on this for three, four weeks, and I wouldn't have done it like that." And now you've handed it to me to, to pick up the pieces. And, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. so you know, making sure that, that those sorts of situations.
0: Don't right, right. So so related, you're talking at um, the conference that we're putting on on September 15th around yeah, designing for it. IoT. We are too. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're talking about designing with AI. Can you talk a little bit about what you plan to cover, what people will learn from your session?
1: So as I said, I've, uh, I've been thinking about, okay, what have, what have we learned um, in terms of I mean, what are the applications? So I mentioned one. About shortcutting user input, and I think there are three or four applications. We sort of unpicking those and saying, "Well, you know, these are the different situations." Whereas a designer, you should go, "Oh, wait a minute, we've got a tool here. We could use it to help in this sort of situation." So, when is it appropriate to to use um, AI or to use some form of algorithm? Mm-hmm. Um, think about again, you know, they're the very kind of basic, crude algorithms. I mean, the, the crudest is just you know the rule of thumb. Right. You can go all the way up to, you know, support vector machines and real complex mathematics. Um, but when you watch people, um, you discover that, you know, if people don't have time to learn a task, they'll just learn a rule of thumb. And, and generally that works pretty well. Um, and when you get deep, deep, deep into a task and deep, deep, deep into expertise, that's when the, you know, the brain's kind of pattern matching ability, the brain's algorithms uh, get into play. So we'll be talking about the difference between, you know, designing with rules of thumb, if you like, uh, and designing with more complex algorithms. We'll be talking about, you know, the, the processes that we've put in place to enable teams to understand how they might uh, deploy those algorithms or how they might deploy um, the, the sort of narrow AI technology. So, you know, the one which I mentioned already um, is that, uh, you know, just sketching uh, and bringing uh, mixed teams together and, and getting them to sketch. But there's, you know, for me, there are, as I talk to people, as as you know, we work on, on our projects, there are definitely ways in which design practice is evolving. And I'll be uh, talking about what I think the state of the art is um, and hopefully trying to anticipate how things may move forward. I mentioned earlier, you know, mobile created big shifts in the way that we, we do design. Um, and it's, it's not that responsive design didn't exist before mobile, but mobile really took it to the next level. Uh, and made it something where you weren't just making a website that was a bit squidgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, were doing, you were making something that shifted in remarkable ways. You know, I, I, I think if we look around now, we're going to see you know, design, the design practices of the future are, are, are there in kind of seed form, um, and they're going to grow in in remarkable ways. And be trying to kind of look at where 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 are they and where might they be growing. So those are the sorts of things I'm looking forward to to talking about and sharing on that. Uh, on that conference. Cool.
0: Um, so beyond AI, what do you see as some of design's next big challenges?
1: I think there are some you know, fascinating challenges at the moment. And one of the, um, one of the interesting challenges that, that we face is um, the one, you know, on the one hand, you have this sort of globalization uh, of, of design. So, you know, through the network, design patterns spread incredibly quickly. And, and that leads to, you know, great sameness in, in design. Mm. And you see that when Apple or Google release something, blah, 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 that pattern spreads incredibly quickly and, and, and ends up everywhere. And that's good because it means that there's, you know, there's a familiar common language. But the challenge of design is, well, how do you how do you have that familiarity and common language and respect and preserve the diversity um, of of design, and you know, uh, people are going to at some point kind of react against that, and they're going to say, "Well, I want this to be different," or oh, "But I want it to be familiar too." Um, I think diversity in in the design output, diversity in the design community, uh, also is um, you know incredibly important, and you know, that's the input, if you like, to the um, to the design output. And you know, I do think you know, there's there's been a lot of talk and a lot of work a lot of good stuff done um over the last few years in particular about gender balance in design but there's other sorts of diversity which we haven't even begun to um to to properly address Mm -hmm. uh, in design and um you know there's there's challenges there we should be rising up to that
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely so shifting back to your your firm again i'd love to hear uh, what tools and processes you use there
1: um so one of the things that we've been working on uh a lot recently, is um, is designing around uh, uh, chat interfaces, designing natural language interfaces uh, NLIs. and allies. Uh, and, you know, that's a form of out um, of a really kind of complex form. Um, but essentially, a lot of the, the features that you find in, in other forms of, of AI design are, are there in um, designing natural language interfaces. Um, and we've been lucky enough to, uh, you know, as we've been exploring that space, Obviously, our kind of instinct is to go back to psychology, go back to the psychology of language and really study that so that we're building in, we're understanding what we're hearing when we're hearing conversations and we're trying to model artificial conversations. Um, And that's led us very quickly to realize that we need tools that support those sorts of language structures as well. And so we've been working with a a company called Artificial Solutions who've provided us with uh, a wonderful tool set that enables us to very rapidly model and prototype you know almost you know almost prototyping the browser if you like hmm. natural language interactions way faster than, than writing out scripts or, or running through posters. and you can very quickly see oh this is where this conversation feels awkward this is where this conversation is is breaking down um and I think that that ability to rapidly prototype um, is um, you know is incredibly important
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting so artificial solutions you said is the the is the name of the company, yeah. yeah. Interesting, okay.
1: And as I say, what's, what's interesting about their toolkit, because there's a lot of good stuff out there that you can use, uh, and obviously a lot of people are making kind of toolkits available. What I loved about their software is that you know, human conversation has this um, tendency to kind of... Head up, you know. You start off with uh, with one sort of thread of conversation, then head towards another, and then revert towards the the first one again. <laughs> and that's a really natural way of doing things. It's like, uh, okay, let's back up. Tell me about that other thing again. And oh, I've changed my mind. You know, let's say you're buying a ticket. You know, well, what about that first one you told me about? Nah, could I have the second one? But could I have it? You know, um, with, a, with a break in the journey. That's a human conversation, right? Uh, and so having software that naturally. Supports those kinds of conversations is um, is very important to us.
0: Interesting. Oh, that sounds like fun. Um, so, tell me, what do you look for? You said you had fifty to sixty folks in in your firm. What do you look for when you're hiring talent? Um, and specifically, what are some of the more important characteristics or attributes you look for?
1: Uh, I think anybody working today, you know, you need to be endlessly curious. Um, it's uh, you know the the speed with which technology forces us to reinvent ourselves. And and by the way, I think, you know, AI is a great example of that. And it's going to be an awful lot of roles um, that are going to need to be reinvented um, as uh, as AI support tools um, become mainstream. So that ability to be curious and to, to, to reinvent yourself is really important. The ability to see things from multiple points of view simultaneously. Um, we've hired some great people from media backgrounds, and they very naturally have that ability to shift b- between, you know, the actor, if you like, which mm-hmm. in our case is, is you know, the, the interactive thing that we're uh, designing, the audience uh, and the author, and, and be able to think about each of those viewpoints and rotate between them. And that's, you know, you, you need to, as you're running through a design process, you need to be able to, to hold each of those viewpoints in, in your head simultaneously. That's really important. You know, the, the best people we hire, you can hear that in the way that uh, in the way that they talk, in the way that they pull things apart. And uh, you know, I think that that human curiosity curiosity about people. I mean, again, we are designing for people fundamentally, <laughs> and uh, it's great to be curious about about things. You know, because the the things or the tools we use or the things that we're designing, but uh, you need to be able to place those things in the context of, uh, of people. And again, you can hear that in the way that uh, certain people talk uh, about work, about situations uh, in interviews. And, it, it, you know, that, that's something where you go, aha, yes, you're, yeah. a, you're a CX partners person.
0: Mm, that's great. When you're researching for your own work, I'm curious what resources you use. In particular, you know, you're looking out three, four years. Mm. Like, who do you track, or what do you what do you look at, or you know, how do you do your own research? I'm curious.
1: Well, I, so I think you know the the great thing about trends is the big ones, the important ones, they kind of lumber towards you really slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no great sort of insight required for trend spotting in our in our area. You know, the, the driving force is Moore's law. Mm-hmm. Driving force is, you know, okay, whatever it is today, it's going to get smaller, it's going to get cheaper, it's going to get more connected, it's going to be everywhere. And you know, when you start to follow the logic of that, it's 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 very easy to to see that we're we're moving to a world of, you know, embedded computing. Um, where you know everything is talking to everything else, and you you are moving through this world, and the world is is able to sense and adapt around you. Um, again, you can see why intelligence built into that world is 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 so important because you don't have to keep telling that world what it is you're doing, keep pressing buttons along the way. So, spotting those big trends is, um, I think. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thought exercise, wonderful kind of, you know, it's a, you know get a group of people into a room and, and just sort of think through scenarios. And then, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, the, the we get to, you know, our firm go out and, and speak to so many people in, in so many fields. We get to talk to a lot of designers and design conferences. And then, you know, there'll always be somebody in that network of people who's working on something that's, you know, that's currently the fringes and is going to get pulled into center stage. So that network of people is, is incredibly important to me. Then you know, as as I guess I kind of mentioned earlier, going back to the to the psychology, going back to the roots of the psychology. You know the, you know, the devices might change, society might change, the you know environment in which we're working might change, but the psychology of people is pretty slow, and it's it's not going to evolve very quickly anytime soon. So going back to to that sort of text again, that's a that's a still point in the in the turning world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that network of people. And then the you know the core the kind of the fundamental disciplines those are the, those are the places where you start to be able to kind of build things out start to be able to see okay right, this is what's going to be important this is what's going to work.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. It's interesting to hear. And when I ask people that question, I get all sorts of different answers. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard that the network of people, which is vital to all of us,
1: obviously. Hell yeah. Yes, that's right. And and you know what you get when you reach into that network is you get people's creativity and perspective as well. Um, and um, you know, that's the thing I'm, I'm you know, so grateful for.
0: Mm-hmm. So one final question on a personal note, uh, what projects or people are grabbing your attention these days?
1: Mm. I, so I, th- I think there are a couple of things happening in the world, which are you know, really interesting, and exciting. I mean, one of the things um, that's um, that's delighted me over the last few years in uh, in interaction design in human centered design is is the way in which um, governments are starting to take on this discipline. And, um, you know, that's that's really apparent here in the UK with um, the government digital service. And, of course, the same thing is happening with the uh, um, USDS and and associated agencies in in the United States and, and Australia too. And that, you know, what's incredible is that government projects have gone from being the most difficult to work on, the most bureaucratic, to being one's which are inspiring and where you can go, my goodness, we're making a difference to to millions of people. So that movement, you know, taking, you know, some very simple tools and starting to deploy them at incredible scale uh, is doing remarkable things. And that's always inspiring. And then this year, I think one of the things that I've come across, which has has excited me a, a great deal uh, is a, a project called Wayfinder, which one, uh, an award at, uh, at the Interaction Awards um, in, in Helsinki at Interaction 16. And Wayfinder is a fascinating project. started off as, um, you know, kind of a, a side project, kind of a, a little blogging experiment. What what could we do with iBeacon technology to help um, blind people navigate around, you know, around public transport? Uh, and, Umesh, who's uh, a co-founder of uh, Wayfinder, took that out as a kind of a little kind of blogging experiment and then side project and started to work with just one station in the London Underground network uh, and put a kind of a proof of concept in place. And and it started to grow and grow into a, a system of kind of tools and interlocking kind of services that other people can can start to adopt and and build on and i'm fascinated by that that's a really exciting internet of things type application um and one of the great things that technology does is it you know it opens the world up Mm -hmm. uh to people uh the difference between you know if you're vision impaired being able to go to the train station and get on a train without assistance, without having to phone ahead and say, I will be arriving at this time. Please make sure somebody is there to guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, and please make sure somebody is at the other end to guide me off the train. And, you know, if several people turn up at once, there's a problem. Um, the difference between that and a system where people are, you know, independent, again, I think is is, is remarkable. And to do that with tools which are, you know, relatively cheap um, and, uh, and freely available. And to think about the impact of that at scale is it's just wonderful. So mm-hmm. I find that very inspiring.
0: That sounds amazing. I'll have to check it out. Um, well, Giles, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Mary. It's been uh, wonderful. And uh, I'm looking forward to the conference later in the summer.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jen Webb. Mary is at Mary Tressler and Giles is at Giles Colburn. If you like the show, remember to subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode.